Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 66. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be looking at the end of John chapter 20 and getting into John chapter 21, the resurrection appearance of Galilee. So, unless you're driving, turn to John chapter 20, and we'll recap uh, verse 22 and 23. You'll recall that's where Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. We talked about that last time, but I want to make clear, he doesn't breathe on everybody. I've, I've heard Protestants will say, well, you know, we're all supposed to forgive sins. We don't need a priest to do that. But I think it's pretty clear in Scripture here, Jesus didn't breathe on the world. He breathed on those 11 who were left and gave them the power to forgive sins. And that's why we uh, understand the doctrine of apostolic succession. When the priest forgives you, he, he is, he is, uh, it is not actually the priest that is forgiving you. The priest is acting in persona Christi, that is to say, in, in the, uh, the person of Christ. And it is Christ that is forgiving you for these sins. Also, uh, once I'm done with the entire Bible study and we've gone through the whole Bible, I intend to do another series which will be specific apologetics on specific doctrines of the church. So we touch on all of these, of course, as we're going through and we, we recognize the sacrament of reconciliation or confession in verses 22 or 23. We recognize that sacrament being inst instituted by Christ in these two verses. But we'll expand uh, when I do the apologetics uh, sessions for each of the unique doctrines of the Catholic Church at a later time. So don't despair if you'd like me to go into more detail on why it's important for you to go to a priest to confess your sins. We'll cover all of that in the apologetics series, which is to follow once again after uh, we've gone through the entire Bible. Okay, so next, starting in verse 24, we have Thomas, who you'll recall, you know, Thomas gets a rough rap, right? He's doubting Thomas, right? But you'll recall we saw earlier when Jesus said, we're, go I'm, we're gonna go on to Jerusalem, and that was a dangerous place for Jesus. The uh, Pharisees were hunting Christ for the purpose of killing him. And you'll recall there, Thomas said, let's go to Jerusalem to die with him. So Thomas, uh, much like all of us, has his mountains and valleys of faith, doesn't he? He had a mountain a few chapters back when he said, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. And here he has a little crisis of faith. His Lord has been taken. He was not in the upper room when Christ appeared to the other apostles. And so, you know, they say, hey, we've seen the Lord in verse 25, and he says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And that's like us, isn't it? We want to see 
visual proof of everything we believe that is, we want it to be irrefutable, undeniable truth. And the fact is, we see miracles every day, don't we? We see the miracle of life unfolding. We see the beauty that is in this earth that we, t we take for granted. So let's not be so hard on Thomas because we are frequently just as doubting uh, in, in the sense that we don't acknowledge that all good things come from God. And so anyway, uh, ultimately we know that he does put his finger in uh, the holes of Jesus' hand and in his side. And uh, actually we, we don't see, do we, that Jesus actually does, or excuse me, that Thomas actually does that. The Lord instructs him to do that. And Thomas ultimately answers and says, my Lord and my God. Okay, so now he believes. Once again, the common thread is that the apostles have now seen the resurrected uh, Christ. And so this makes a, a bit of a difference, but they won't ultimately get him until they actually see him, you know, uh, know that he has ascended into heaven. Okay, here what we're about to look at in verse 30 and 31 is more proof, if you will, that our doctrine of apostolic success, or excuse me, that the, that the Protestant uh, idea of scripture alone or sola scriptura, the idea that scripture alone tells you everything you need to know about Jesus. Um, here's, here's a proof that we might use to refute that. It says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. So uh, Jesus traveled with these apostles for about three years, give or take, right? Now, do you suppose that he had a few more things to say that are in the scant chapters of these gospels, especially recognizing that the first three gospels use a lot of the same stories? If you wanted to read just the unique stories of Jesus in the gospels, you could do it in a good lunch hour, I think. But Jesus traveled with them for three years, explaining, no doubt, you know, how to set up this church upon which he would build the rock. So uh, uh, while all of the information in Scripture is essential to our understanding of Christ, it is not exhaustive. Jesus taught them many other things, which we understand were passed on through oral tradition. We have no knowledge of Jesus writing anything except the one time in the sand when the adulterous woman was, was, uh, was caught. And you'll recall at, when we studied the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' final uh, uh, statement to his apostles wasn't go write books, it was go make disciples of all nations. So uh, there, there we have it. It would have been kind of pointless to just have books because most people couldn't have read back then. Ultimately, some of this did get written down, but none of these gospels were even written uh, by the time Jesus died. Uh, the earliest one wouldn't have been written until the very least 
a decade after Christ left and perhaps as many as 30 years after Christ uh, left this, this earth. So uh, why was this book written? Well, look at verse 31. These are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through his belief, you may have life in his name. Once again, belief is more than just an intellectual ascent. We've been through that many, many times. So now we're on to chapter 21. We see uh, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. So if this were a movie, it would end kind of where it begins, right? In, in the same setting uh, where Jesus called the fishermen and, and here he is back again. So this, is, this story is unique to John's gospel. So Simon, Jesus has now died and Simon says, I'm going fishing. Um, so you'll recall Jesus had told him earlier, I want you to be a, a fisherman of men. So a number of the disciples went, went with him and they didn't catch anything. And we see in verse four, when it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Maybe he was just far enough away that they couldn't recognize his face. We don't know. Anyway, Jesus said to them from the shore, the acoustics must have been pretty good because there's nothing to block the, uh, the voice out on the, out on the uh, sea there. Um, have you caught anything to eat? And they said, no. And so they uh, cast the, their, uh, he says, cast the net over the right side of the boat and you will find something. So they cast it and were not able to pull it in because of the number of fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved, again, John likes us to know that Jesus really, really liked him, uh, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So John being the youngest, maybe his vision was a little better than Peter's. So uh, Simon Peter, you know, he's really excited. He jumped into the sea, he's excited. Wow, this is awesome. And uh, the other disciples came in the boat they were not, they, you know, they were only a hundred yards away. They're dragging the, 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 uh, the fish, drag the net with the fish in them. And uh, when they climbed out on the boat, they saw a charcoal fire. So I want you to underline charcoal fire. And um, um, in your margins, write John chapter 18, verse 18. Why do I want you to do that? You'll recall I had you underline the words charcoal fire uh, back when we studied John 8, uh, 18, 18. That is the scene of Jesus' trial where, G where, where um, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And Peter was standing before a, you guessed it, charcoal fire. So if this was a movie, they would probably have honed in on the charcoal fire during uh, the questioning of Peter. Hey, you know, you're one of them, weren't you? And they would have honed in on the charcoal fire. And then in the same movie, they would have honed in on the charcoal fire here because to, to juxtapose the idea of Peter denying Jesus three times and we're going to see here that three times Jesus asks Peter, 
do you love me? Here's a chance at redemption. It's not an accident that Jesus asks him three times, one request for each time that Peter had denied him. Uh, here's a little uh, weird thing in verse 11. So Simon Pina went over and dragged the net ashore full of 153 large fish. Now, why does John include a detail like this? Well, St. Jerome, the guy who translated the uh, Bible in the 300s, he claims that uh, Greek zoologists identified 153 different species or types of fish in the world. So what is the symbolism here? Peter and the apostles are supposed to be fishing for men and, you know, they catch 153 large fish. So that represents each of the different nations of the world, perhaps, at least according to Jerome. That is to say, the apostles are supposed to bring in people from all the nations of the world, which is the Great Commission that we read about when we studied the end of the Gospel of Matthew there. So everything in John is very symbolic, isn't it? So you may want to underline 153 large fish represents the nations of the world. So this uh, verse 14, this appearance on the shore is the third time Jesus was revealed to his disciples after being raised from the dead. So again, third, you know, three times uh, numerology there, one of those one of those great numbers, one of those fulfilling numbers, like the Trinity itself is three. So then, in the interest of time, we'll just say that uh, three different times, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Now, it's unclear to mean, do you love me more than these other activities like fishing, or do you love me more than you love the apostles, or do you love me more than the apostles love me? But, um, the the way that he's uh, phrasing it, Jesus' question, if we saw this in Greek, and unfortunately we don't, is, uh, uh, Peter, do you love me with the self-sacrificing love that I have for the world? Also known as agape love. Okay, Greeks have all these different words for love, right? And Peter's kind of embarrassed to say the least because Jesus knows that uh, Peter has denied him three times. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses the word phileo as love, P-H-I-L-E-O, which is like a brother or like a friend. You know, you know that I love you. He's too ashamed because he knows, and he knows Jesus knows, that he has failed him three times. So uh, the first two times, Jesus says, do you love me with the self-sacrificing love that I have for the world? And Peter says, you know, I love you like a brother. And the third time, Jesus asks him, okay, I'll, I can even take that. Do you even love me like a brother, like a good friend? Uh, in other words, I will take the little seed that you have and make it grow. Just as Jesus takes the fledgling church that he is starting and will make it grow. And uh, so, of course, you know, uh, Peter now has seen the resurrected Christ. And we're about to see, well, when we see the, uh, the Holy Spirit 
totally come on them in Pentecost, which we did study in Matthew's Gospel. That turns Peter into being totally on fire for him. Uh, then Peter says, or excuse me, Jesus tells him three times what? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Jesus is the good shepherd, right? But Jesus knows that as a mortal being, he must depart. So he's putting Peter, and since he started the church, not just for Christ's time, but for all time, uh, he's putting Peter and by extension, his successors, again, apostolic succession, in charge of keeping the faith and teaching the, the doctrines um, that, that we have today. And they have not uh, been changed since they were originally uh, promulgated. It takes time sometimes to define a doctrine, but once it's defined, you can't change it, okay? So uh, anyway, we, we have this of, uh, you know, Jesus passing this on to Peter, feed my sheep. He doesn't tell everybody else that. He tells Peter that. Peter's in charge, just as our present-day Pope is in charge of preserving and teaching correct doctrine. So no matter who the Pope is, and we've had some bad ones, you know, throughout the centuries, even they have been prevented from teaching error on matters of faith and morals. They've had some errors and things like science, etc., but not on matters of faith and morals. Because Christ had said, hey, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to guide you into what? All truth. All right. And then he tells Peter, verse 18, we're running out of time. He says, hey, um, you are, you're, I'll, I'll paraphrase, ultimately, you are going to die for the faith. And our church tradition with a small t says that Peter ultimately was crucified, but was crucified upside down by his request because he said, I do not even deserve to die uh, the way that Jesus died. I should die worse, you know, being crucified upside down. Okay, and then in verse 25, um, this is, uh, by the way, chapter 21 is perhaps added on by one of John's followers, uh, but yet all of the manuscripts that we that we know of have chapter 21 in there. And so it may seem a little odd to you, but it's sort of rep, uh, verse 25 of chapter 21 uh, is rep, a repetition, basically, of verse 31 in John chapter 20. These are all, there are also many things that Jesus did but if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world would contain the books that would be written. Again, sola scriptura, the idea of scripture alone, just doesn't work. And this verse backs that up. Well, we've come to the end of uh, John's gospel. And uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we thank you for this gospel which emphasizes Jesus' divinity, that he was in control and that while he did, uh, did incur pain, uh, he, he, was, uh, he knew what he had to do and, and he did it. We, we thank you for the affirmation that he did start a church, gave that church the power to bind and loose, 
gave uh, the the power to uh, forgive sins, etc. So we thank you that we can trust Jesus, and we thank you that we can trust his church. Um, we thank you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we're done with the Gospel of John, and on to the book of Acts. Thank you.